Amen. Oh, Tays Creek Presbyterian Church, good morning. What a joy and honor it is to be here. I bring with me the, the greetings and the prayers of both Cumbernauld Old Free Church and London City Presbyterian Church. Um, I want to thank you for all your prayers. Over the past year, we've had both Robert and Mark preach in London for us. Uh, so I've taken up this new pastorate. It's, it's in the heart of London. If you know anything about London, there's a really famous cathedral, St. Paul's Cathedral. We meet just down the road in a building on Aldersgate Street. It's famous because it's where John Wesley uh, was gloriously converted and had his heart strangely warmed. And it's also famous because his brother, Charles Wesley, wrote the hymn, And Can It Be?, and it was first sung in our building. So the next time you sing, And Can It Be?, uh, know that you're singing uh, this hymn that was written and sung in our building. It is such a joy to be here with the other partners, Macklin and uh, Philo. It's, it's great uh, to come and thank you for all that you do for us, uh, praying, encouraging us, loving us. But as we begin, let me invite you to turn to, to God's Word. We're going to read from Isaiah chapter 6. You'll find this on page 571. And I'm going to read the first eight verses. This is the Word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. The word of the Lord. Question. When was the last time you were awestruck in life? Like, when was the last time something caused you to gasp in amazement? When was the last time you were stunned into silence? When was the last time your jaw dropped and your eyes popped out of your head? Perhaps it was 
when you had your first child, the, the beauty of beholding them. Perhaps it was on your wedding day, the beauty of seeing your bride or your groom. I know for Mark, it was uh, last week when Tennessee beat Alabama. <laughs> and here's hoping this Saturday it will be your experience when Kentucky beat Tennessee. <laughs> you know, the last time I believe I was left truly awestruck happened just over a month ago. It was the 18th of September. It was a Sunday evening. I just preached in London City Press. I, and along with, with four other members of the church, decided that we would go and join the really, really long queue to see the Queen lying in state at Westminster Hall. So we bolted out the church building, sprinted across Tower Bridge, and around 7 p.m. we joined the end of the queue. We were among some of the last to join the queue. And we queued for nine and a half long hours. So on Monday morning at 4.30 a.m., we wearily wandered in to Westminster Hall. And for as long as I live, I will never forget the scene that greeted us. There in this ancient room, pregnant with history, right in the center was the Queen's coffin. Queen Elizabeth II, the longest, the longest reigning British monarch. It was truly jaw-dropping, eye-popping. Her coffin, about seven foot long, surrounded by her royal guards. Draped over the coffin was the royal flag. Propped on top of the flag was the imperial crown, dazzling with its diamonds. I was truly awestruck. And as we had opportunity to file past the coffin, everything in my head was saying, Andy, remember, this is just the dead body of our late queen. But as I passed by the coffin, I could not but bow my head in respect to the sovereign majesty, the one whose presence I was in. Her majesty, the queen, the sovereign of Great Britain and the Commonwealth nations. Well, if that left me truly speechless, imagine what it must have been like for Isaiah. He was confronted with another, even more glorious, awesome sight. As he saw not a dead monarch, but he got a vision of the living, one true and eternal king. My prayer for us this morning is that as we walk our way through this passage, we would be enabled to see God in all his glory. We would be reminded of the grace of God in the gospel and we would be challenged to respond to all that God has done for us with a life of gratitude. Let me invite us to bow our heads and pray and ask for God's help. Our God, as we come to this glorious vision of who you are, we pray that you would help us by your spirit to be in awe of you to be amazed by your grace, and as a result, to be animated by love and gratitude for what you have done for us. We pray this in 
your holy name. Amen. Now, in short, what we have in Isaiah chapter 6 is the occasion the young, pious prophet visited the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. But he did not leave the temple the same way he went into the temple. Because there in the temple, he had a life-transforming vision of who God is. Now, I would like us to walk through these verses with four simple headings. God, guilt, grace, gratitude. God, because Isaiah has a vision of who God is. Guilt, because in the presence of God, Isaiah comes to experience and feel his own guilt and sinfulness. Grace, because Isaiah experiences the amazing forgiveness that God offers. And gratitude, because that is the only response to who God is and what he's done. A heart and a life filled with thankfulness. Now, my first point is going to be my longest point, so don't worry. We'll move quickly through the the last three points. But let's begin with God. Verse 1 opens with these famous words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This opening statement tells us two things. It dates Isaiah's life-transforming experience, 740 B.C., And it also tells us that this was a timely experience in both his life and in the life of Israel. This year, 2022, will go down in history as the year that Queen Elizabeth II died. At least for us Brits, it marks the end of an era. It is the end of the second Elizabethan age. And when she passed away, our nation... Was in what it was in widespread mourning. Everybody was grieving the loss of our queen. Well, I suspect it was something similar when King Uzziah died. Interestingly, he was one of Israel's longest reigning kings. He reigned for 52 years. And for the most part, his reign was one of peace and prosperity. And so you can imagine. That as Isaiah went up to the temple to worship God that day, he had a soul that was filled with this sad situation. He would have gone up to the temple with a heavy heart. But don't you just love God's timing? In the year when Israel's earthly throne was vacant, Isaiah was granted a vision to see that heaven's throne was occupied. The king was sitting on his throne, the one true and living king who's in control of the universe. Now, I don't know what's going on in your personal life, but I suspect this past year has been a year of up and downs, twists and turns. In the United Kingdom, we've had one prime minister come, another go, and now we're expecting another prime minister to come. We've got war in Europe with Russia and Ukraine. Rumors of war between China and Taiwan. At a congregational level, we've, we've had change in London. We said goodbye to our associate pastor, and the congregation welcomed me as our new senior pastor. And I know the same is true here in TCPC, in the sense that you've said goodbye to your beloved senior pastor, Robert. And you're waiting for God to appoint the new senior pastor. And then in your personal life, you've no doubt had good news and bad news. 
perhaps a change. But regardless of our circumstances, isn't it the case that there is no better time to get a fresh vision of who God is than now? We need to see him sitting on his throne in complete control. God is in complete control of what is happening in Lexington, Kentucky, in Mexico, in Togo, in England. He is working out his perfect plans and purposes. Nothing will thwart them. Nothing will frustrate them. He will bring his good plans to bear for his glory and for his people's good. Isaiah has this vision of of God sitting on his throne. But notice next, he saw that the Lord was high and lifted up. Now, I've made mention to the fact that when I was in Westminster Hall, the queen was raised up. And, you know, as I thought about it, that was so fitting. She was no ordinary person. She was the queen of Great Britain and the Commonwealth. Her office deserved respect. And so as I walked past it, I was forced to look up and see the queen. Well, can you imagine in this vision, as Isaiah's given this sneak preview of heaven, how high he had to lift up his head. The Lord is high and lifted up. Brothers and sisters, it's because of who God is. He is so great. You know, one of the things I'm guilty of is reducing God down to a size where I try and fit him into my own life. And like Isaiah, I need to be reminded of how great God is. In fact, look at what he says next. He says, he saw him high and lifted up, but the train of God's robe filled the temple. Now, now some of you who are younger and at school, maybe you're you're studying history, or you've studied history, and you you remember the the time where you were studying the ancient kings, perhaps, of Mesopotamia or Babylon, and, and perhaps you remember that it was customary for ancient kings to have long robes. In fact, the longer the robe... It would, te- it would showcase their greatness, their majesty and splendor. In fact, when a king defeated another king and kingdom, they would add extensions to the train of his robe. Well, it's into this context of an, an ancient world with kings like that that Isaiah's given this vision. And what's so fascinating is that, see what it says, the train of his robe? In the original, it literally means the hem, meaning the, the very outer edge of God's robe filled the temple. Now just think about that. Isaiah only caught a tiny glimpse of the greatness of God. How much more was there to God's greatness and glory? He is this vision of the immensity of God's being. Brothers and sisters, we desperately need our eyes opened to the sheer overwhelming greatness of God. Jackie Hill Perry, in our book, Holier Than Thou, writes this, We are so often bedazzled with images of fleeting majesty. We are so easily let down. We need a grander vision of God. Well, notice what happens next. If God's not great and glorious enough, Isaiah's now enabled to see that the seraphim, This is the only time in the Bible we read about seraphim. The root word seraph means 
to be on fire. So these were fiery, burning creatures created by God to live in the presence of God. But did you notice what Isaiah said about them? With two wings, they covered their feet because they recognized that they were in the presence of the holy God. With two wings, they're flying. And then with the other two wings, they cover their faces. Such is the dazzling intensity of the holiness of God. These creatures created to dwell in the presence of God have to shield their faces from seeing God. Sometimes we'll tell children, don't look up at the sun, it's dangerous. These angelic beings could not look upon the face of God and live. Such is the dazzling intensity of God. You know, when I was in, in Westminster Hall, and I said that I saw, you know, these royal guards surrounding the coffin, this crown dazzling with its diamonds, there was a real sense in which, yes, it was memorizing, but it was far too much for me to take in. I had to look away. Now, times that by a gazillion trillion, and you'll get something of what Isaiah saw in these angels as they stood and served in God's presence. So we've got the seraphim surrounding the throne of God, shielding their faces from looking at God. They're flying with their wings. They're ready to serve God. But notice that we read that they're singing to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, up until this point, everything in the text has made clear that God is extraordinary, as is his holiness. In fact, there is no other place in the Bible you will read of any attribute repeated three times. Nowhere does it say God is just, 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 or love, love, love. Only here do we have an attribute of God that is repeated three times. This is a super superlative. God is the holiness. The core of his being, his love is holy, his justice is holy, his mercy is holy. He is holy. A.W. Tozer says that one of our problems is we are blind to the extraordinary nature of God's holiness. He says it like this, we cannot grasp the true meaning of holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising the concept to the highest degree we're capable of. God's holiness is not simply the best, infinitely better. No, it stands apart, unique, unapproached, incomprehensible, unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. So God's holiness is, is truly extraordinary. But don't miss this. God's holiness is also truly thrilling. Notice that the, the seraphim, they're singing about it. We sing about what we delight in. We sing love songs because we delight in love. We sing about songs about our favorite football teams because we were fans and we delight in our team. Here are these seraphim and they're singing about God's holiness because it thrills them down to the very bottom of their burning beings. God is holy. His holiness is put on full display. Now, now notice the response to, to the angel's song. We read in the foundations of the threshold shook. When you catch a vision of God in all his holiness, you're shaken to the core of your being. If I can be really honest, I, I, I've discovered that in my Christian life that when I'm most 
casual in my Christianity, compromised in my godliness, passive in my service, it's because I've lost sight of God and all his holiness. And we desperately need to take the time to gaze upon the beauty of his holiness and to enjoy him and to be reminded of who he is. Now, that's our first point. That's the longest point. We're now going to move through the next three points. And the first thing that happens to Isaiah is after seeing God for who he is, he begins to see himself for who he is. Do any of you like watching crime dramas? You know, like uh, CSI, NCIS. Um, I love watching them. And there's always something that catches me off guard, even though I know it's going to happen. But you know, there's those scenes where there's a crime scene, but it's a perfect spotless room and the forensic experts are brought in. And what they do is they, they turn off the light and then they, they put up their own UV lights and they turn them on. And what once looked like this pristine, perfect room is revealed to be a room that's filled with blood and bodily fluids spread across the walls and fingerprints everywhere. A crime scene. Well, that was perhaps something of the surprise and shock that Isaiah had when he came under the x-ray gaze of God's holiness. And notice what he cries out in verse 5. Woe is me. I am unclean. I am filthy. I am dirty. I am ruined. And it's really interesting. He's a young, pious prophet. And a prophet is called to speak the words of God to the people of God. And where does he most feel his filthiness? His mouth. And Jesus says that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. His mouth's so unclean because his heart is a problem. Now, Isaiah comes to discover his his sinfulness. And brothers and sisters, you know, we can come to church, right? And, and, And I suspect this was true of Isaiah. That when you looked at him outwardly, you'd have thought, what a godly young guy he is. And, and when we look at one another, we might think we've got it all together and we're, we're good and godly folks, but the reality in the presence of God is we fall so far short of his glory. We are sinful to the core of our beings. But the wonderful thing is God does not expose Isaiah to himself just to condemn him or even to destroy him. Now we come to the third point. He exposes Isaiah to who he is because he wants to show him He is the gracious God. Now this is beautiful. Look at what happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, if you want to find the gospel in this passage, here it is. Here's a foreshadowing of what Christ Jesus came into the world to do. And it's beautiful because, as I said, the solution fits the need perfectly. There is this seraphim, this messenger of God. He he flies down. He goes to the altar, which is on fire. He takes a coal, and he comes, and he flies towards Isaiah, and he presses the coal upon his lips. And in all of this, we see the gospel depicted. The cleansing comes about because of what God does, not because of anything Isaiah can do. It comes from the altar because for there to be forgiveness, 
there needs to be sacrifice and the shedding of blood. It comes from an altar that's on fire, which reminds us of God's holiness and his wrath. But listen to the seraphim's words. You'll never hear the gospel proclaimed more gloriously. He says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. And all of this is is, is exactly what happens in Jesus coming to give himself as a sacrifice for our sin. Now, just think about this, right? He is cleansed of his sin. Some of you need to hear this this morning. When your life encounters the gospel and you believe in Christ, you're cleansed. Even though you might feel unholy in the presence of God, he cleanses you. He takes your guilt away. This is spectacular, right? A holy God takes you a sinner and makes you holy. Clean in his presence. Your guilt taken away. Now, now, now this is astounding grace, but you you know the thing that really astonishes me, that takes my breath away, that leaves me with eyes popping out my head? You know, everything we've just studied, the king sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, the seraphim around him, singing his praises. Do you know who the Lord is here? This is a vision of the pre-incarnate son. This is Jesus before he took upon flesh. This is what he willingly gave up to take upon himself flesh and come into this world to become our atoning sacrifice. And how do we know that? Because of the reading that Macklin read for us, John chapter 12. If we'd asked John, who did Isaiah see in his vision? He would say he saw Jesus in all his glory. And this is astonishing. Jesus willingly, gladly did this. Because of love. Undeserved and unmerited. You know, there's many stories about Queen Elizabeth that speak to us of of just how, how she was willing at times to forego her position in order to put other people's needs before her own. Robert tweeted a, a, a story of an experience he had when he was visiting the, the parliament and one of the guys told him a story, you should read it, of the queen and just her love for people. But listen, in all of the acts, the kind acts of the queen, nothing compares to this glorious act of our God. In grace and love, he left his throne to take away our guilt and sin, to make us holy. And do you know the only appropriate response to that? It's gratitude. When you let the grace of the gospel sink deep into your soul, When you understand that the God of all holiness, the God of all glory, did this for you and me, this is truly breathtaking. Now, notice that Isaiah's response is one of willing service. In fact, the first time God speaks, it's when he says these words, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, just think about this. He's the Lord of angel armies. These, these, these seraphim are willing to go at his call. But that's not who God seeks to enlist into service. It's a saved sinner made holy. It's a sinner who's understood the gospel and understands that God, even though he could use a perfect angel to do his bidding, he would rather use sinners who've been cleansed by the gospel to be ambassadors of the King of Kings. People like you and me. 
John Calvin, in his commentary, says regarding Isaiah's response, this shows how great is the cheerfulness that springs from faith. What was Isaiah's response? To God's call to serve, here, here am I. Send me. Now, when you think about this, what's Isaiah's message going to be? That Jesus Christ takes away the guilt of sinners and cleanses sinners because of what he's done on the cross. And, and you know what's so astounding? This is truly astounding. The seraphim cannot gaze upon the face of God and live. But you know the end of the gospel is that a saved sinner made holy by God on the last day we will see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus and we will not die but live. Indeed, we will be in the twinkling of an eye made just like him. And brothers and sisters, that ought to fuel us and animate us to a life of service. One last story from the Queen. It's said of Queen Victoria, but I think it's also said of Queen Elizabeth. There's this story that she was hearing a preacher. Yeah, a sermon had been preached. And after the service, she, she went up to the preacher and she, she said to him, Oh, how I wish that the Lord might come during my lifetime. And the preacher asked her, Why? And she said, I should like to lay my crown at his feet. Brothers and sisters, here's the amazing wonder of the gospel. We are saved by the Son. We become heirs with the Son. He gives us a crown of righteousness we do not deserve. But at the last, like the Queen, after living a life filled of service to the gospel, we will be able to lay down our crowns to the one who's worthy of all praise and all glory, the true majesty, the true sovereign over all, the true saviour and redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are humbled by this vision of who you are. And we pray that as a result of beholding you and gazing upon your greatness and glory, that you might transform our minds, our hearts, that you might move our hands and our feet to action. We are humbled that you would enlist us in the service of the kingdom. We pray that even as we go into this week, we may be animated by love in response to all that you've done for us. We pray this in your glorious name. Amen.